Welcome to Stick Together. I'm your host, James Brennan. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where this show was produced and pay my respect to their elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to extend that respect to any other Aboriginal people that are listening to the show. Stick Together is a national radio show that focuses on union news, workers' issues and social justice. This show is coming to you through the Community Radio Network across the country with the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. On this week's show, we're speaking about the Australian Defence Review Paper, the budget and AUKUS through the focus on the nuclear impact with guest Tillman Ruff, co-founder and chair of ICANN. ICANN is the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, made up of a coalition of non-government organisations working towards a nuclear ban treaty. And here's the interview with Tillman. Enjoy. Welcome everybody to another episode of Stick Together. And on this week's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the recent uh, Australian Defence Strategic Review Paper, the AUKUS Agreement, and particularly how this really intersects with, uh, you know, the nuclear ban treaty and some of the work that ICANN have been doing and, you know, obviously really taken a global um, you know, picture since winning the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017. And uh, lucky enough to have joined me on the show today is uh, founding uh, one of the co- um, founding members and chair, uh, Tillman Ruff. So thanks a lot, Tillman, for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me, James. I think, you know, over the past kind of decade or so through different governments, I think we've really heard Australia having a desire to become a much bigger military force in the region, uh, you know, particularly from the Liberals. But, you know, we're now seeing that again from Labor and, you know, Labor's usually pretty reluctant to make too much of a... Uh, distinction within the kind of military uh, agreements and things like that. The the, the AUKUS agreement that uh, came out last year and the details included in the National Defence Strategic Review seem to represent a pretty big shift towards that goal. Uh, In the context of the work that ICANN is involved in around nuclear campaigning, what are your kind of key takeaways from both the you know, recent review and, and where the AUKUS agreement is heading? Well, certainly, as you say, Australia is becoming an increasing military power with plans both to become a, a more significant producer and exporter of, of weapons, as well as now the fourth largest importer of arms in the world, despite having only 0.3%, so one third of 1% of the global population. Um, we spend four times that proportion on our defence, and we're now the fourth largest Um, defence importer. Um, And Australian military spending, you know, it's it's been the one part of the budget that essentially has been protected from the kind of rigour and review that every other area of the budget has had with sort of locked in agreed uh, percentage increases year on year, which have only accelerated. So this is the first year in the budget just released where Australia's military spending goes above 50 billion a year, and it's gone uh, skyward by a significant amount. It was 47 billion uh, last year. It's going to be 40, sorry, 52.7 um, billion in the 23-24 year, and is headed upwards uh, at a faster rate uh, than the coalition even had planned under Labor with this extraordinary expenditure plan somewhere between 268 and $368 billion, um, likely to increase further uh, as military expenditures inevitably seem to. 
uh, for this long-range, in our view, deeply disappointing uh, commitment to acquire nuclear-powered submarines. The amount that that represents is 20 times bigger than the largest previous military acquisition by Australia. So this is extraordinary. And essentially what it does is it cements uh, Australia's position as the Defence Minister Richard Miles has said, this is not about um, about you know interoperability. Um, this is about actually enmeshing the two defence forces, Australia and the United States. This essentially locks us in to the great power competition uh, that is accelerating producing an arms race in Northeast Asia between the US and China with a growing risk of war and significant escalation of that um, to nuclear war. These developments essentially lock us in um, with a really alarming, I think, loss of sovereignty and independence. Um, you know, there's no way practically that we would be getting this technology, the first state without nuclear weapons uh, to ever acquire it. Um, you know, if the US couldn't count on us to to join them um, in support of any operations, essentially in the Asia Pacific and, and and in the Indian Ocean as well. So yes, I think it's it's deeply unfortunate that that the most promising Labor government in in decades really has taken this continued and accelerated this trend of militarization and essentially Australia acting um, as a deputy sheriff for the US um, in the region with with serious capacity now for for long long-range power projection. Um, this is no longer about the defence of Australia, uh, about the approaches. You know, Australia's relatively protected from military assault because it's an island continent at the bottom of Southeast Asia. Um, so for, for the last decades, um, in a welcome change from the, the previous sort of forward defence um, of the Vietnam era that got us into, you know, lots of wars in in Asia um, and the Middle East, defence in recent decades has been oriented more to the defence of, of Australia. That's now very clearly shifted towards, again, long-range power projection, essentially into the into the North Pacific, um, way beyond the approaches and the immediate region of Australia. That's the only reason why you would want nuclear-powered submarines if, if you're on about operations in the in the northern Pacific, far distant from Australia. So these decisions have been made essentially with continuity, disturbing continuity, I'd say, between between governments and with really a, a very large democratic deficit in terms of the transparency, the rationalisation, the significant parliamentary, let alone public debate, and justification as, as to why these humongous expenditures are warranted, what the alternatives are. You know, a proper governance process that that weighs the risks and benefits of alternatives, um, that makes an accountable decision. We, we essentially haven't seen that. This was a, the AUKUS uh, submarines was a plan that was cooked in secret by the, the Morrison government, kept secret even from relevant ministers, such as the Minister for Foreign Affairs had no idea about this. Labor was given less than 24 hours uh, to basically answer the question, will you sign up to this? And unfortunately, I think largely because of wanting to avoid a khaki election and potentially being portrayed as weak on the alliance and weak on national security, um, they did um, support this. And unfortunately, the period of review that then followed um, wasn't used uh, to, to distance themselves and, and to really take a long, hard look at this, but essentially just uh, embraced it and carried it, it forward with some important conditions um, that um, then opposition leader, now Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, put on this, that this is not the thin end of the wedge for nuclear weapons to be stationed in Australia or acquired by Australia, that this is not the thin end of the wedge um, 
for a nuclear industry in Australia and that this is consistent with our non-proliferation obligations under both the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and also importantly the South Pacific Nuclear Weapons Free Zone, which prohibits both acquisition and stationing of nuclear weapons here. How do you think that those things are going to be followed? I mean, I wonder, you know, when that eventually you know, it's, it's obviously quite a long-term plan in terms of when Australia would be able to have their own nuclear-powered submarines. You know, how do you think they're going to be fueled? Are they going to be using Australian uranium, for example? And, you know, what kind of, um, I mean, you've said Anthony Albanese sort of put some conditions around that. I wonder how, you know, you're seeing that is going to play out. There's sort of three phases to this, um, you know, the f- and I think with different timeframes and different sort of risks and costs associated with them. The first is the increased, um, they're called rotation but it's really it it will it sounds like it will in effect be permanent stationing of UK and US nuclear powered but conventionally armed uh, attack submarines at Fremantle and that will accelerate uh, over the next several years um, that will involve training for Australia increasing maintenance capacity uh, in those submarines um, as a prelude to us acquiring our own. The second phase is the acquisition that Australia buying essentially um, some Virginia-class nuclear-powered US submarines between three and five of them um, that the US would be producing anyway. So we're basically just helping to subsidise uh, their production um, of those submarines. Um, and they will they're projected to come in the in the first half of the 2030s um, and then thirdly the most ambitious and distant and costly part of this is the plan to build new so-called SSN AUKUS a completely new class of submarine that will be of British design doesn't yet exist um, with largely US technology and weapon systems um, and partially, built in Australia. You know, that's about seven or eight changes of government away. It's massively complex and costly. And there are all sorts of steps in that long and complicated interchange between three governments that that could mean that that falls over at some point or gets changed. But that, um, I think, is the part that is both most difficult to carry out, furthest away, and frankly, we have the best prospect to change. Um, And in terms of the propulsion of the submarines, um, that's a significant problem in itself that has caused um, a number of countries in our region um, and many civil society organisations great concern because these submarines, all of them, the Virginia class and the likely future ones um, will run on highly enriched uranium. So this is uranium that's 93% uranium-235 isotope. So it's directly weapons usable stuff. You can build the simplest kind of Hiroshima-type nuclear bomb with highly enriched uranium. The world has been trying to reduce the stocks of highly enriched uranium um, in research and civilian applications, and Australia's been part of that. And now we're essentially putting somewhere between 8 and 20-plus nuclear weapons worth of directly weapons-usable material on a stealth platform You know that's in the ocean for months at a time that nobody's supposed to know where it is. It's basically impossible to safeguard. That represents the first time that a country without nuclear weapons weapons um, is acquiring nuclear-powered submarines. There are plenty of other countries who have flirted in the past and are seriously considering, again, acquisition of, of 
nuclear-powered submarines. Um, Brazil is fairly well advanced on building their own nuclear-powered submarines, but powered by low-enriched uranium, which doesn't have the same sort of proliferation and weapons potential. Um, and since the Australian announcement, a number of other countries, South Korea and Japan, Iran in particular, have said, well, we probably want to get nuclear submarines and highly enriched uranium as well for that very purpose. So this is essentially a massive blow to the nuclear non-proliferation regime, essentially, um, because this material is going to have to be taken out of safeguards effectively. It exploits a loophole in the safeguards agreements that's previously been dormant, um, that should really have never been created and ideally should have been closed. Um, but unfortunately, Australia's trying to prise it open. So even if Australia doesn't want to acquire nuclear weapons. And that's, you know, not a given. Australia had very serious intentions through the late 50s into the, even into the early 1970s um, to acquire its own nuclear weapons. Australian government was dragged kicking and screaming um, by the US to sign the non-proliferation treaty in the early 1970s. You know, this is not so remote. There are still people in Australia um, lurking in think tanks around Canberra, particularly, that argue that Australia needs its own nuclear weapons. So, you know, if you've got access to this material, um, you know, that's that's a potential risk and certainly will be perceived as such by, by other countries. Um, whether that comes, uranium comes from Australia, um, it's hard to know. We certainly do provide uh, uranium to most of the nuclear armed states in the world. Um, and it's and it's certainly entirely possible. I guess the flow on from that question seems to be, you know, what would happen to any nuclear waste that, you know, um, I'm not sure if the submarines would be generating, I assume they would be generating waste as well. And, you know, is that like discussions around like where that would be stored within Australia or, you know, um, you know, what kind of agreements or things would happen around that? Well, I was concerned that there was no information coming about this during this whole 18-month um, review period about what's going to happen with the waste. Um, my hope was that actually, because the argument that's being made all along is that, you know, the reactors will be made either in the UK or the US and will come to Australia as sealed units uh, that, you know, Basically, you know, you just stick them in the submarine. We'll just stick them in the submarine. And then that containment will not be breached um, until the at the end of its life, after 30 plus years, the reactor is pulled out of the submarine. And yes, like any nuclear reactor, there is fission going on in there. There's generation of, of a large, of hundreds of different radioactive isotopes. The stuff that comes out will be much more radioactive than the stuff that went in. Um, and by the way, the stuff that comes out will still be highly enriched weapons usable uranium. Um, and, but with the announcement uh, back in March, it was made clear that it would be Australia's job to look after the waste um, of these reactors. And, and the defence minister has said that this would be disposed of on defence land, presumably to avoid the kind of processes and community opposition that has plagued lands in Australia for other plans for, for nuclear waste dumps. This waste poses both a health and environmental problem, has to be contained very securely, kept away from groundwater for hundreds of thousands of years. But it also is a security risk uh, because that 
highly enriched uranium could be extracted from that waste to, to be used for, for weapons. Um, so it's also a significant security problem. So we're going to be stuck with that. Um, and that's, I think, a whole raft of, poses a whole raft of additional safety, health and environmental risks, very long term and costs for Australia. What is really important um, is that that does not become the thin end of the wedge for opening up Australia to bringing in high-level radioactive waste from overseas, as has been proposed uh, in the past on a number of occasions. Uh, various companies have proposed such, your listeners may remember the Pangea proposal in Western Australia, uh, was perhaps the most prominent of those in recent times. But there is, again, talk about that. The South Australian Royal Commission a couple of years ago into the nuclear industry did recommend um, that you know the only real option from a commercial point of view for Australia to get involved in, in the nuclear industry more intensely was as a potential international nuclear waste repository. So I think that's really something to watch. Um, there's a problem itself that we're stuck with this, uh, with this waste afterwards, um, but it's also a risk that that could be used as a justification for bringing other high-level radioactive waste to Australia. You mentioned before that, you know, the idea of gaining nuclear weapons is still something, you know, that I'm sure, you know, probably many listeners have been involved in various campaigns at different times to stop, you know, nuclear weapons kind of becoming part of Australia, um, Australia's, you know, defence. And we know that, you know, there's clearly a lot of those people on the um, liberal side of government. But, you know, in Hugh White's um, book that came out in um, 2019, I think it was, that he, you know, he talked about that how to defend Australia Australia is something that, um, you know, that Australia should look at nuclear weapons as an option as well. And, you know, obviously he's somebody who has um, historically had pretty close links with the Labor Party and, um, you know, I'm sure still is influential amongst those, uh, some of the people within government. Is that still a concern, do you think, you know, about some of those people still shifting towards wanting to have um, nuclear weapons and, you know, these nuclear-fueled uh, submarines being a pathway to that? Absolutely. James, I think that's a real concern, you know, that, um, and it's one of the aspects of this that really needs, uh, I think, some serious diligence and, and watching by, con you know, concerned citizens and, and the parliament, um, because there are pressures, you know, the opposition is, is still talking up nuclear power. As you mentioned, some, you know, reasonably serious and respected continuing influential people like you White have, have canvassed Australia acquiring its own nuclear weapons. The Labor Party, to its great credit, um, moved by Anthony Albanese, seconded by Richard Miles, at its national conference in 2018, unanimously adopted a policy platform position that, is, that Labor and government would sign and ratify the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, subject to a couple of reasonable considerations that are really no, no obstacles. That policy was confirmed uh, in 2021 at the National Conference in Sydney, moved by uh, by Penny Wong and seconded by Brendan O'Connor at that stage. And the government has, since it came to office a year ago, has made some tentative steps uh, in that direction. It's sent an observer delegation to uh, the first meeting of states' parties to that treaty, despite the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade advising against that. And it's significantly small but significant step. It changed its vote at the United Nations to stop a 
opposing the ban treaty, it changed it to an abstention. That might sound like a small thing, but diplomatically, that was really noted internationally. That put Australia as the first sort of nuclear allied state to stop its opposition uh, to that treaty. Um, And both the Prime Minister and and Foreign Minister have um, not contradicted the policy, have have spoken consistent with it. Uh, At her address at the National Press Club uh, recently, Penny Wong talked about the important normative value of the treaty, the good that it could do through by giving disarmament and impetus through through the NPT and you know working through the the considerations um, in in the policy platform. So by far the most effective and enduring way to bind this and any future government in Australia to nuclear powered submarines not being the thin end of the wedge um, for acquisition of nuclear weapons by Australia, nuclear weapons being stationed here, or heaven forbid, uh, you know NATO style Australia actually delivering. US uh, nuclear weapons as a number of of uh, air forces in Europe uh, you know would do they have US nuclear weapons stationed on their territory in Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, and Italy, that when push comes to shove would be delivered by the aircraft of those countries. It's a serious breach of the non-proliferation treaty, but but you know, that's not something we want Australia to be in the position to do. By far the best way to show that Australia's serious about not progressing any of those is to join the nuclear weapons ban treaty. So th- this development of of the planned nuclear submarines um, increases the importance and urgency for the government to deliver on that policy commitment. And really, it should sign the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty within its first term of government. Um, There's no significant obstacle to it doing that. We have very strong support across the parliament. Uh, Almost 80% of federal Labor members have signed ICANN's pledge, publicly states their personal support for the treaty and for Australia joining it. The vast majority of of Labor MPs, um, most of the crossbench, the Greens, support this. There's very strong support in the population. So we've done opinion polls in recent years, a number of them, including during the Morrison government, you know, when the government was strongly opposed to the ban treaty and sought to undermine it at every step. Uh, But those polls have consistently shown uh, between 70 and 80% of the Australian population want um, Australia to join this treaty. And in the last poll last year, only 6% were opposed. So there's really overwhelming popular support for this. Most of the countries in our region Almost all of Southeast Asian countries have, have signed this. Indonesia will, will complete its ratification quite soon. Um, almost all of the independent Pacific Island countries of New, and New Zealand have been strong champions of this treaty. It would, I think, significantly help alleviate a lot of the regional concern uh, that has been generated by the nuclear submarine decision and the concern that that will fuel tensions and an arm race, arms race and, and the risk of, of war and nuclear escalation in the region, it would go a significant step uh, towards addressing those concerns. Um, you know, especially when you look at the opportunity costs. I mean, the Pacific have been telling Australia for, for years and years that our number one concern is climate change. Um, you know, Australia's meagre funding for for adaptation and mitigation work um, in the Pacific, uh, you know, $368 billion for nuclear-powered submarines is a kick in the teeth for the region, frankly. And joining the ban treaty would be a significant way to, um, to you know, to offset that that um, 
that danger. Well, we're going to have to finish up in a minute, Tillman. I really appreciate coming on to the show. And I think, you know, you've mentioned a few times that actually the trajectory of some of these things is, you know, quite a distance away. And I think, you know, what that gives, I think, us is time to be able to, you know, perhaps change some of the, um, you know, even if not all, at least change some of the trajectory of what the AUKUS agreement is going to be about. And I think, you know, if people want to get involved, you can go to the ICANN website and there's directions from there about the kind of, um, you know, where you can take action. And I know there's groups sort of all around the world where people can, um, you know, find out about um, campaigns and, and actions that they can do to target, you know, their government or, you know, um, be involved in local campaigning. Uh, there's actually, there's quite a few anti-AUKUS um, campaigns around the country as well, if people want to get involved in those. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show today, Tillman. And um, yeah, I don't know if, if you had anything else you wanted to say for how people can get, uh, you know, involved in this or um, anything uh, to wrap up? Sure. Well, I, I guess I just want to say, James, that uh, it's really important and urgent that, that Australia get serious about nuclear disarmament. You know, we've been part of the problem today. We claim protection from US nuclear weapons. Uh, we provide through some key facilities in Australia like Pine Gap, provide assistance for their targeting and possible use. That makes us part of the problem. This is the most dangerous time since at least the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, and many including the Doomsday Clock, um, the nuclear weapons ban monitor. Most of those who've managed nuclear weapons consider this to be the most dangerous time that we've ever lived in, with the danger of nuclear war at unprecedented levels with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, bringing Russia and NATO in increasingly direct confrontation in the context of very explicit and repeated nuclear threats uh, from Russia. This is no time for, for complacency. This is absolutely a time for all hands on deck and to get serious about this and, and to turn Australia... Um, um, to become decisively part of the solution and not part of the problem by joining the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty would be a historic achievement. We would be the first of the nuclear allied states to do so. And there are some real opportunities coming up with the Victorian State Labor Conference in mid-June, with the National AOP Conference in Brisbane in August. Uh, union members, I think, have a real opportunity to to use those opportunities to um, not just express concern and and um, about AUKUS, which they should, uh, but also to to really encourage the government to to sign the nuclear weapons ban treaty without delay. Thanks a lot, Tillman. That's a great way to wrap up the show. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much, James. You've been listening to Stick Together with your host James Brennan through the Community Radio Network. We thanks to this week's guest Tillman Ruff. The music to finish the show is from Radiohead and their song Four Minute Warning. Thank you also to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support to produce the show. If you'd like to get in contact with the presenters of Stick Together, please send an email through to sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. To listen to other episodes of the show, go to 3cr.org.au or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. My name is James Brennan. Until next time, stick together.
just a nightmare Soon I'm gonna wake up Someone's gonna bring me round Running from the bombers Hiding in the forest Through the fields Laying flat on the ground Just like everybody Stepping over heads Running from the underground This is This is a war.